This podcast is being brought to you in part by the veteran-founded Hero Soap Company, located in Phoenix, Arizona. In today's environment, we must be aware of the products we apply to our skin. As a two-time cancer survivor, I cannot afford to take chances, and I use these products myself. The soaps will leave you feeling clean and refreshed. All the products made by the Hero Soap Company are made in the United States with the highest quality ingredients sourced from companies in the United States whenever possible. The products are made in small batches to ensure high quality and contain premium essential oils and fragrance. All Hero Soaps are created without synthetic colorants, parabens, and sulfates that are irritating to the eyes, skin, mouth, and lungs, and are cruelty-free, meaning these products are not tested on animals. Each 5-ounce bar of soap is handmade in Phoenix, Arizona, and the body wash is available in 8 ounces with such refreshing scents as the woods, tea tree, lavender, the fields, bourbon, lime, the pines, and arctic. You will absolutely love this soap. Please also check out their gear for sale. All the products are reasonably priced. Being veteran-founded, the company understands the dedication and sacrifice that each family makes to serve their country. A portion of sales is donated back to charities that are focused on helping veterans and our first responders. Over 1,200 bars have been sent to our deployed troops. Please check out their website, HeroSoapCompany.com, for pricing and a detailed description of all the products. When ordering, use the code RAP for a 10% discount. The company information will be listed in the podcast notes and featured on the podcast website, Facebook group, page, and the podcast Instagram. Welcome, everyone. It's a wrap with rap. I'm your host, Ron Rappaport. Before we start, I would like to thank all of our listeners, sponsors, and supporters that have helped to make this podcast so successful. The podcast is being heard in all 50 states, all provinces of Canada, and over 45 countries around the world. The podcast has been ranked by Feedspot as one of the top 35 overcoming adversity podcasts on the web in that category, and ranking is determined by traffic, social media followers, and content freshness. Please visit the podcast website. It's a wrapwithwrap.com for all the episodes and other information regarding the podcast. This podcast features people who have overcome life's adversities and challenges, people who can inspire, motivate, and educate us on an assortment of topics. My guest today is Diane Gilman. Diane is a fashion icon who started her career in the 1960s, dressing rock stars like Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin. She introduced washable silk to the U.S. market, earning her fortune and fame in the department store industry. She became a widow in 1992 when her husband, Robert Gilman, passed away from cancer. She reinvented herself as the jean queen on Home Shopping Network, selling millions of jeans to women over 40 who wanted to look stylish and confident. 
Diane is also a TV personality, a book author, and a cancer survivor and lymphedema thriver who inspires women to embrace their third act of life with zest and positivity. Welcome, Diane, to the podcast. Wow. Honored to have you here. That is a pretty great intro. I don't know. How could I live up to that oh, one? You, you will. Anywho. You will. I read All your right. book. I read your book. Very inspiring. I must commend you. You are a great author. And I highly Thank recommend you. everyone read that book. You will you will not be disappointed. Now Here's let's start. The let, yeah, there's the book. Too young to be old. Now <gasps> That's let's start, me. Let's yeah. start at the beginning. Tell us about your early years growing up uh, through your teens in Los Angeles uh, and your love for designing. Uh, where did it come from? And tell us uh, about your lack of support from your family regarding your dream of becoming a designer. Yeah, you know, this was one of those things where it was obviously my destiny. From the time I was two, two and a half, and I could pick up a crayon and draw, I drew a stick figure with a triangle dress and punched in polka dots. I was obsessed with fashion and, and, you know, I was, I'm sure I put my mother through ultimate grief every morning that I went to school because I had to be just so and my socks had to match my little skirt and or I would go crazy. So this was actually so unusual for two reasons. Number one, born in 1945, women did not work. There was no such thing as a career woman. It wasn't even a phrase yet. And coming out of World War II, fashion was not that important. It was about the country getting back together again. And my parents had lived through the Depression. And my mother, who was a debutante, they lost everything in the crash of 29. The family mansion was turned into a transient boarding house for out-of-work drifters just going from town to town looking for work. And she went from debutante to chambermaid. And she also had to be the seamstress, not the seamstress in the band, but the seamstress for all six of her brothers and her father. So she had a hatred for sewing. She thought working was a heavy harness around your soul. And they were determined that I was not going to have a career. And I was so determined I was going to have a career. And it burned. You know, it's like the only thing I could equate it to is a surfer who has to surf every day and catch the perfect wave. Yeah. A couple of yeah, so a couple of times in my career, once when I introduced washable silk to America and was huge in department stores. And then when I invented the DG2 gene for a middle-aged woman's body, very different gene than anything else on the market. Those were my perfect waves. Those were my light bulb moments. And even that happened out of order in life, in, you know, fashion. Yeah. It's your famous young. It's all fast. Yeah. And then you're gone. But I I had my huge light bulb moment, the middle-aged gene, when I was 60. So I was pretty much alone 
in the fashion field. Everybody I knew had retired or gone on to something else. And that was just a real to me beginning of my really huge surge in my career. And we went to a hundred million dollars a year, year after year. And then I asked QBC if I could please try one of their European channels and go on and, and give me a chance. Cause I figured women all over the world are dealing with the same hormones. So everybody's getting bigger through the stomach, flatter through the rear and on and on and on. And you know what? We took it to QVC England. Boom. Right. Strike to number one, Canada, number one, France, Germany, Italy, Australia. And I think I'm leaving one country out. And, and so it became an international business and an all-consuming business, which was fine with me because my love of designing never faded. My love of designing, even though I loved being on TV to get to explain it all, that that thing of creating the perfect jean or the perfect blouse was just unbelievable. And I know that anybody out there listening who was born with that kind of direction need you need to fulfill it yeah yeah so well, yeah we're gonna we're gonna move we're gonna talk about that uh, i want to go back to uh los angeles so when you when you so we move on you start ucla uh as a freshman in the mid 60s and you yeah. open up you open a fashion store called yeah i'm a hog for you baby yeah. Tell us how we that thought could... it was. Well, yeah. we thought it was the first rock and roll song ever recorded. Oh, we, okay. We you remember there was no Google back then. There was no Siri back then. Right. You know, and so I don't know if that legend is true or not. But recently I actually went on Google and saw a video of somebody singing I'm a hog for you, baby, out of the early to late 40s and i thought oh my gosh so yeah we how, how did that this- store do how did that store do oh fantastic we opened we did it as a collective so um you had to buy your own fabric sew your own dresses every dress was ten dollars and we had we you know painted the whole inside like neon green or neon orange or something it was the mod 60s and they were all mod dresses they were pretty creative i must say and um we were located right across the street from Cantor's delicatessen on fairfax avenue which was the celebrity hangout place yeah so one day a white rolls royce pulls up and sunny gets out and he's like, oh, I'm getting a pastrami on rye, blah, blah, blah. He walks into Cantor's. Cher is not going to get a pastrami on rye, no surprise. And she decides to wander into our store. She She wanders, comes in, walks around once, walks out, and we're like, oh, The podcast is so happy and proud to have Blue Sky CBD as one of our sponsors and supporters. At Blue Sky CBD, they know that the highest quality CBD starts from the seed. 
Blue Sky partners with sustainable, responsible farms for superior hemp plants to extract their CBD and other healthful phytonutrients. Each of Blue Sky's products contain high concentrations of CBD for maximum impact, and Blue Sky offers some of the lowest cost per milligram CBD on the market. All Blue Sky's products are THC-free and are tested by a third-party laboratory for potency and purity. All this has made Blue Sky one of the only brands trusted by healthcare professionals across the United States. As the demand for CBD and its therapeutic potential have grown rapidly worldwide, it's difficult to know which products you can trust. At Blue Sky CBD, they don't just sell their products, they use their products. Blue Sky CBD proudly shares testimonials of their loved ones who use these products. Blue Sky CBD guarantees the potency and purity of each and every product they sell. Blue Sky tests their products three times. First, the plant is tested, next the isolate, and last, the final product to ensure each product batch meets Blue Sky's high standards. A copy of the Certificate of Analysis is linked below each product description online. The Blue Sky CBD website contains client testimonials, including a case study for each testimonial from people just like you regarding people dealing with severe anxiety and insomnia, high blood pressure, pain management, headache, rheumatoid arthritis and spondylitis, and endocrine balance. Blue Sky even makes the product pet love for our canine and feline family members. There is some confusion between medical marijuana, CBDs that contain THC, and the THC-free hemp CBDs within states. Blue Sky CBD uses CBD derived from hemp that is THC-free, which is drug-free and can be sold everywhere legally. Blue Sky CBD wants you to feel confident with your purchase and offers you excellent customer service. If you are not satisfied with their products, you may request a refund of the full purchase price within 30 days of the product received date. When ordering, please use the podcast link to receive 20% off your initial purchase. The link and website information will be listed in the podcast notes. And then she screams, stand here, and they take every dress. Every dress. You're they kidding. cleaned out every, the Every store. dress. Ten bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Then my, my, the person that I opened the store with, Rosanna Norton, who went on to become a really well-known um, movie designer and did the original Carrie and did Dress to Kill and did the, all the Thor movies. Anyhow, she, her boyfriend was Jim Morrison from The Doors. And so you had a music industry. And then I met Janis Joplin because I went to a private audition. Janis was trying to get a record label. So I went to a private audition with my boyfriend, who was a record agent at the Whiskey A Go-Go. And um, the music industry was so thinly veiled. You know, it wasn't like today and... Yes, there was the potential to make money because it was just the time for the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, you know, the whole English revolution. So I would take their denim and I would slash it and glue jewels on it and hand paint it and patch it and 
applique it and make these masterpieces that would take a week, two weeks, three weeks. I did it for the love of the craft. And I, there wasn't enough in the mid 60s of a fashion industry in Los Angeles to really make it viable to, and besides, I had no education. I mean, in UCLA, great school, but not for me. I wanted fashion curriculum. That wasn't your bet. So, uh, no, not at all. But let me say, youth, they say youth is wasted on the young. Definitely youth was not wasted on me. I had a really good time. <laughs> <laughs> so so in the late 60s, you leave for San Francisco and you follow the music scene uh, to, oh, yeah. hand, to handcraft one-of-a-kind denim creations. And we're talking about you're, you're doing it for the likes of Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, Grace Slick in the Jefferson Airplane, Jerry yeah, Garcia and the, near and the them, Grateful right. Dead, Jim Morrison yeah. and the Doors, and the list goes on. What was that time like for you? Wow, it was just magical. It was easy. It was super creative. I mean, I was just working for myself. But I I could see with Haight-Ashbury that we were getting into trouble and that this had peaked and it had only kind of bad places to go after that. You know, there was just huge influx of drugs. And I remember one day somebody said, oh, Jerry, as in Jerry Garcia, yeah, is having a party at his house. Come on. Yeah, I remember Jerry Garcia's parties. You would, They would put a pound of acid into the well water and you wouldn't leave for about two months. <laughs> it was like, I'm not going to another Grateful Dead party, okay? So um, at some point I realized that I was now a little bit past my mid-20s, maybe I was 27, and um, New York was where I needed to be, but I kind of didn't really know anybody there except one person, and who wound up being my boyfriend for the next decade, and I bought an airline ticket, and I just took a chance and came to New York. That was that. What what kept you going forward uh, to fulfill your dreams, And, and were there times Uh, that were low and how did you overcome those moments to push forward okay so i really had to break off everything with my family um there's a chapter in my book called if only you were nancy your cousin nancy because nancy married a jewish doctor and had seven children and was a receptionist in his let me take a very brief moment out to alert all our patients and caregivers out there that rare patient voice a supporter of the podcast is paying for your input patients 16 years and older and caregivers family and friends of any disability disorder syndrome illness or condition have the opportunity to express their opinions through surveys and interviews to improve medical products and services. Who knows your journey better than you? Rare Patient Voice puts you in touch with researchers who are developing products and services that can help you and others with your condition. These researchers need input of patients to develop products and services that have significant impact on patients' lives. 
Over the past nine years, Rare Patient Voice has paid patients over $10 million. When you join Rare Patient Voice, you may be invited to participate in interviews, surveys, or online communities where you will share your insights. Rare Patient Voice usually has hundreds of studies running at any time, so there are many opportunities to participate. You will earn $120 per hour for participating in these studies. By making your voice heard, you are a catalyst for change. Rest assured your input will be used to help other patients like you. There is no cost at all to you, the participant. You can get more information and sign up by clicking the link in the sponsor's notes. Office, the perfect daughter. And here I was, you know, going to rock and roll parties, um, generally looking pretty wild and, uh, you know, doing everything they didn't want me to do. But it was all part of my journey. So um, the need to design was what kept me going. It was an internal clock all the time saying you're in a youth obsessed industry you're getting older you've got to do something that people recognize and um it was very difficult and but i had no place else to go i mean i dropped out of ucla it didn't interest me to be in school and and not be learning my craft but when I came to New York, I mean, I was an L.A. girl. I lived in Topanga Canyon. I, you know, I was like sort of hippie. And and New York was like, whoa, does this place ever stop? No. So I started uh, hand painting leather for Rod Stewart and the New York Dolls in New York. And um and trying at the same time to get interviews to be a designer with a real company. And I must have knocked on a thousand doors and gotten a thousand no's. So I had to take a nighttime job at Max's Kansas City and met Andy Warhol and everybody was there at that time. It was like the place to be. Worst waitress in history. I guarantee you that's me. And then in the daytime, I applied for a job at Bloomingdale's and I thought, oh, Bloomingdale's is so happening. This is going to be so great. They put me in the old lady's girdle department. I was humiliated. I was so depressed. But I would go in between jobs and I would buy fabric down like on Delancey Street on the Lower East Side and I would do my own quilting and I would make these little bomber jackets and I made a little coherent, cohesive collection. So one day, and I read women's wear cover to cover every day, memorized every page. And one day I noticed this woman not looking happy storming across the floor was a fashion coordinator. And she came in and said, this whole department isn't making money. It's because it's so ugly. And we've got to move all the bullet bras and girdles and redo everything. And none of these older women that worked in the department wanted to do that. And I said, I, I'll do that. And by the way, I'm a designer. I'd like to show you my collection. So she rolled her eyes. I'm sure she got that every five minutes. And she gave me an appointment like three weeks later for 15 minutes. She looked at the collection. At that time, there was a department store in Brooklyn called Abraham and Strauss, and it was 
arranged just by the metro system in New York that if you got on the train right below Bloomingdale's, you went straight to right below Abraham and Strauss, vice versa. She said, put on your jacket to the vice president of Abraham and Strauss, get on a train. You have got to meet this designer. And they took it seriously and they bought $100,000 worth. I only had seven little pieces in this collection and I was deeply distressed. And she said, I don't understand. Why don't you look happy? And I said, I don't have the money to produce a $100,000 order. I thought you were going to order like three jackets and two blouses. So she's she's the big time. She's the real deal. She's a real deal. But then I met Marvin Traub, who was a CEO and the president for years, the salad years, uh, the great years of Bloomingdale's. And he said, we believe in talent. And they funded me. They bought all the fabric. They paid for all the labor. They gave me centerfold, double trunk, Sunday Times ads week after week. And they gave me all the windows of the 59th street store. And that started me out. And, you know, there, there's an old saying that I really like a lot. The harder I work, the luckier I get. I just killed myself. I used to actually pack up packing boxes, have a taxi, take me to the UPS depot and be standing there. Little me in between these giant tractor trailer trucks trying to get the orders to UPS so they could get delivered. I mean, I I was the true burgeoning small business owner. Well, you never gave up. No, never. You never gave up. And that's, that's what did it. You, you hung in there and you were finally, your day came, you were discovered. You know, the really interesting thing too was I was, I was discovered there. And then in a lawsuit around between, let's say, 1991 and 94, 92 and 94, I lost my name. I lost it to a big consortium in Hong Kong that just was not really paying me correctly. And um, I decided to sue them, which was completely stupid. They had billions of dollars and I couldn't work. I couldn't design under my own label. It was just terrible. So one day, 1994, I get a phone call. You know, hello, is this Diane Gilman? Yeah. I'm from QVC. Would you like to come be on television? And I thought, this is a joke, right? <laughs> you're You're joking, right? And she said, no. And I said, well, I'm, you know, I would love to, but I can't because I can't use my name professionally right now. I can't say Diane Gilman and I'll never forget. She said, oh, that's no problem. We'll just call you Diane. And I went on air, uh, QVC first, and then HSN kind of lured me away by saying, we'll give you 100% freedom with your creativity, which was you know, like candy to a baby. And I learned another craft, which was communication. And for a designer like me, who really designs 
from the heart, not just mechanically. Or I was so entranced by all of this that I stayed for 30 years. And for about 27 of those 30 years, I was the number one fashion um, personality and company at HSN. In 2007, we got a new CEO, a brilliant woman named Mindy Grossman, who had been behind um, the creation of Polo Jeans. She was, she was there at the beginning and did that with Ralph Lauren. I, in the meantime, being the rock and roll girl I was, was now middle-aged, pudgy, uh, and couldn't wear a pair of jeans because they were all made for a 20-year-old body. So when I was 58 and a half, 59, uh, and now I'm 77, I thought, what a drag. I mean, old age is tough enough, but you can't even wear what you want to wear. You just have to look like you're hiding yourself in all this baggy yeah. clothing. Yeah. So I went out and bought three yards of denim, took my measurements, which were totally, totally against industry standard. And I asked my sewing lady, I had a sewing room at the time in New York. Um, we made all our samples there to make me a jean. But just let's make the pattern, which we made together to these measurements. She's looking at me like these measurements. I said, yeah, that's my body. Okay. So we made it. I put the jean on. I walked outside. I walked to work. I was walking down 34th Street to get to the garbage district. I lived on 5th. It was on 7th and 34th. And two guys, young guys, cute, in a manhole for Con Ed, one of them popped up and said, hey, lady, you really got it going. And I thought, <laughs> wow. Now, if I could feel this good and feel this surge in self-esteem. Wouldn't millions of women love this? Yeah. You're, you Nobody know. would listen to me. Nobody would listen to me. I knocked on denim specialist stores. I, I put my idea out there and it was like, don't be absurd. Older women don't wear jeans. Yeah, you're right. They don't wear jeans because they don't have a jean they can wear. Right. She, Mindy, the new CEO understood, and she gave me a chance. She gave me, I was doing multiple hours on air every month, but she gave me one hour with this idea. But here's the catch. Not in prime time. I was on a freezing, frigid February morning at 5 a.m. in the dark when everybody is asleep. And... I had a plus-size host who said I would rather fall on a sword and die than wear a jean and refuse to wear the jeans for oh my God, no, really? I wanted I wanted to kill her. And we went on there, and we had 5,000 jeans to sell, and we sold them in three minutes, and we were done. Okay. And now we had to figure out what, but what were we going to do with the other 57 minutes of the show? No. Nah. And I knew immediately it was like, 
boom, it just hit. It was just right. And it was fascinating. When I took it international, it didn't matter the country you went to, whether it was Italy and women were eating pasta or it was fish and chips in the UK or it was poutine or whatever that stuff is in Canada. Women all have the same hormones. They age in very similar lanes. Yeah. And the fit was just extraordinary. Well, that was, that was totally your light, unique. That was your light bulb moment. That and was you, my you, big moment. Yeah. And you uh-huh. earned the name. You earned the name at HSN as the Jeans Queen. The Jean Queen. Yeah. yeah. And it was so easy to say on air. And then all the hosts loved it because it was an intro. So I became the Jean Queen. And it was most unusual and incredibly unique that someone at my age would have their big connecting moment to the retail public at the age of 60. Just unheard of. You have your first book published in 2013 titled Good Genes. Tell us about that book. Um, You know, I was becoming uh, iconic on Teleretail. Teleretail was, I would say, at its peak or close to it. And I had a fan base of 750,000 women. They sold the book on air. It it was actually incredible. It was such a creative time in Teleretail. So they set up the whole stage. They did a whole studio that looked like a beautiful dinner theater. They invited the 100 best customers for Diane Gilman, set them up. It looked like everyone was drinking champagne, but it was really ginger ale. You can't put alcohol. And I read from the book. And uh, we sold 35,000 copies in under two hours. It was just unbelievable. So I understood that I had sales skills. I understood that I had communication skills. And I was very sure-footed that I truly understood the customer because I was a customer. Yeah, I needed those genes. And some women would call in and say, I've got 150 of your jeans in my closet and I want more, more, more. So uh, it was amazing. Most people um, see themselves as peaking in their 20s and their 30s in a career, especially in fashion. Here I was in my 60s, just rocking it. And, And the only downside was there was only one of me. So nobody in Europe, or Canada would be cooperative. You, if you didn't feel good or you just had minor surgery, you better get on that plane. You better get over here and you better sell this. So it became very um, physically wearing at the same time that it was really satisfying. Yeah, it was it must, fabulous. I it, mean, must, it must have been rewarding uh, oh, for you so, to, to hear these women you know, probably you got tons of letters, you know, saying, hey, tons. you changed yeah. my life. You know, you, yep. you, you make me feel good. So, I yeah. Mean, and you, you can't buy something like that. You can not only can you cannot buy, but I, I want to tell the story as if you don't mind as a breast cancer survivor. So I had to go on air and announce to the public 
that I had breast cancer. And that they was might 2017? Not... Yeah. I Well, I was diagnosed on Christmas Eve. Good timing, Diane, yeah. of 2017 with ca- cancer, both breasts. And uh, you know what it's like. I mean, you're just shot in shock. You know, you're just yeah. trying yeah. to absorb it. Yeah, we've kind been of through that. Out-of-body experience. So HSN was very flipped out and reluctant. They said, well, maybe you just don't announce it. Just disappear. And I said, I can't disappear for a year. And these women are going to want to know where I am. And... So we crafted, they they allowed me to write a speech and they vetted it. And I went on and basically said, I have to take a year off television for my new job, saving my life. But I promise you, I'll be back. And, you know, that's extremely difficult to do and sort of not break down and your emotions are right there on the surface. So I flew back to New York, had to go into chemo, Um, like a day later, I get a call from my senior assistant. And she said, I said, you know, I wonder if anybody liked my speech. And I wonder if they're reacting on. She said, Diane, you've got 135 posts. And I said, that that's it. I said, is that good? 135 on Facebook? She said, no, Diane. 135,000. Wow. Those women loved me for respecting them, for seeing them. Because as you grow older as a female, you become invisible. And I was so touched. And they became my family Yeah, uh, to help me through it all. And that was incredible. So I came back. I I wasn't even gone for nine months. I literally got my last radiation treatment on this cold, hard table in the basement of Mount Sinai. I had my suitcase waiting there. I got dressed, got in a car, went to LaGuardia Airport and did the thanks big shows always every year. Thanksgiving weekend, every major holiday, Easter, Memorial Day, Labor Day, Thanksgiving weekend, um, Christmas Eve. So uh, I went on there, and it turned out to be the greatest show of my life. We sold 225,000 jeans in 23 hours. Wow. And that told me I all the sacrifices, never being able to spend holidays with anybody, always being on an airplane, always being in an impersonal hotel room, it told me that it was all worth it. It was just amazing affirmation for me. So, Diane, Diane, how did how did that how did cancer change you, and, and what did it teach you? Uh, I'll tell you a story, which is the basis for the discussion of change. It changed me almost completely. So I'm used to people recognizing me in public and I'm used to signing autographs, and I love that stuff, and I love talking to the customers. So anyway. I'm in a beautiful part of Mount Sinai Hospital called Dubin Cancer Center. It's only for breast cancer. Amazing place. Incredible. I'm sitting in the waiting room for my first, probably maybe my my third or fourth infusion. Sorry. So we all have private rooms. I'm in my room. 
Jubin believes in really catering to women. So you could get a foot massage or a shoulder massage, but not both during your treatment. You could get a catered lunch. Well, I never ate the lunch. So one day, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm a big deal and people are going to recognize me. One day I'm in there with all those needles in my arm and I hear, oh my God, everybody, Sheila's here. Sheila, how are you? One nurse after the other runs into the room and says, hi, Sheila, how are you doing? It's so good to see you. Do you want lunch? Guess what? We saved you three of your favorite sandwiches. We'll put them in a bag and you just take them with you. So I'm thinking, who is Sheila? And nobody offered me lunch. So the nurse comes in. I said, uh, do I look like chopped liver to you? I said, I, I didn't even get offered lunch. She said, Diane, you never eat lunch. Do you want lunch? And I said, well, no, thank you. But I want to know who that woman Sheila is. And I'm getting ready for them to say, oh, she's the biggest news anchor on CNN or some huge position. They said she was an abused wife. She is homeless now, lives in a shelter, has breast cancer in both breasts. And the food is so horrific in the shelter that she doesn't eat for days on end. And so she loves this kind of sandwich. We give her everything we've got. Well, that leveled me out. That was huge lesson in my life that when you have a life threatening disease, it doesn't cancer doesn't care if you're rich or poor. It doesn't care if you're beautiful or homely. It doesn't care if you live in a mansion or a homeless shelter. It is an equal opportunity destructor. And having that all around me and seeing we were all in this together, I I came out the other end of that tunnel, that dark tunnel, so much more empathetic and compassionate. And I also think my value system was much more grounded. And the other thing I felt was um, that I had to get all aggravation out of my life because I think a lot of it, a lot of aggravation in business actually propelled the cancer. But I also decided that, yes, my legacy would be my fabulous genes, but my legacy would also be kindness. And then I was in a position. Let's take a moment to talk about those people ready to lose all the weight you want. Did you know that less than 2% of dieters manage to keep off the weight? When you are told to skip entire food groups, forced to limit the amount of calories you eat, your only option is to use discipline to stick to the plan. Behavioral science has proven that we only have a small supply of discipline. And the reason you need discipline to follow a diet is because diets are not natural. Your ancestors survived by eating their fill when food was plenty so they could cruise through times when it was harder to get. Your genetic code is hardwired to go without food for short periods between times of plenty. And that is what is missing in the modern diet. These days, it's like you eat one long meal 
per day starting at breakfast and ending at bedtime. That is why many are sick, fat, and losing weight seems so complicated that they end up gaining it all back. You need a shift from food obsession to food freedom and give your body the break it deserves. Eat Stop Eat is an intermittent fasting method developed by Brad Pylon, which is a unique approach to intermittent fasting that's characterized by the inclusion of up to two non-consecutive spaced-apart fasting days per week. By the time you finish your first Eat Stop Eat protocol, you are going to feel a difference in the way your clothes fit. You will see that your face looks leaner and even notice that you feel lighter and more energetic. During the protocol, your insulin levels will drop to one-third of regular levels, allowing you to burn fat at an extreme pace. Practicing one to two protocols per week will increase insulin sensitivity, allowing you to store more calories in lean tissue and lessen fat even when your insulin levels are higher. If you think you look older than you should, then you probably suffer from chronic inflammation, and we know it is triggered from being overweight and overeating. Chronic inflammation is also linked to most of the diseases associated with aging including arthritis, hypertension, atherosclerosis, fatty liver, asthma, heart disease, diabetes, and many more. Here is the good news. The Eat, Stop, Eat protocol has been shown to cut markers of chronic inflammation in half. The Eat, Stop, Eat protocol works for anyone, man or woman, no matter how young or old you are. Because you need time to experiment with Eat, Stop, Eat yourself, Brad has agreed to give you a guarantee. You can try it and continue using it for the next 60 days before you even decide if it is for you. Brad expects that before the end of those 60 days, you must agree that Eat Stop Eat is a sustainable lifestyle and that it will give you a lifetime of peace and freedom from your struggles with weight and diets. If not, Brad expects you to ask for a refund of your purchase. Brad's passion is to make health and weight control simple again. He wants you to enjoy your life, your food, your family, and your friends to the fullest. The last thing he wants is to bring more stress into your life. So if you decide that Eat Stop Eat is not for you, Brad will happily issue a no-hassles, no-questions-asked, 100% refund. The Eat, Stop, Eat program is affordably priced at $10 for the digital version and $19 for the physical copy, including shipping. And for a limited time, you will get a quick start guide and 15 days free VIP email coaching. Please click the link in the podcast notes under Sponsors Links for detailed information and to order. <clears throat> where I could truly act like royalty and be kind and gracious and help where I could, mm-hmm. or I could just be a bitter old woman. And I chose hopefully and executed as well, the more queenly route. So um, it, it changed my personality yeah. and my intentions forever. Does that make sense? It does. I, I've been, yeah. I, I, like I told you, I was, I'm a two, two-time breast, male breast cancer survivor myself. And uh, you said it as beautifully as I've ever heard it said. Thank and you. It changed me the same way. I came out of it. It's a long story, but I came out of it wanting to help people. That's why I do this yes. podcast. I do this podcast yeah. to help people. And I don't know how many people I'm helping. I don't care if I'm, if I'm, if I'm helping one person. Exactly. That, that's fine. You know, that's fine. Your intentions your intentions are correct. For me, you know, the fashion industry is such a shallow, frothy kind of industry that, you know, I look at these people now sometimes that are in my industry and they're going, you know, berserk over something where they could really take that money and feed 
an African country yeah. for a month. Yeah. And, I, you know, it took away a lot of selfishness. And then I really, really just as the outshoot from my genes wanted to help women past the age of 50, 55, because I think aging for women is very difficult and we have no guidelines at all um, and no one really to follow. And so it recrafted my mentality. And at a certain point, the chemo had done enough damage to my body that I felt doing these shows 24 hours a day was I was using up every bit of energy I had. So I retired from that uh, December 2022, just a few months ago. And, you know, I thought, oh, my God, I've worked my entire life since I was like nine years old. And I was sweeping floors in in a great boutique in my little town that I grew up in for grade school uh, just to be near fashion. And what was I going to do? I mean, I worked my whole life and within five weeks of leaving Teller Retail, it really is true. Close one door, another opens. I was offered my own weekly podcast and the launch of the book. And so, no problem now, staying busy. Yeah. No. And at my age, I'm 77, about to be 78. Um, learning something new, communicating in this way now, and um, being on social media and trying to become a, what I call a silverella a silver-haired influencer, mm-hmm. I am having a blast. I am having the time of my life. So that's good advice for anybody out there. Yeah. If, if the thrill is gone and you are contemplating leaving a situation that is comfortable and you understand it and know it, but you're sort of doing it all robotically towards the end, give yourself a chance you may be amazed at what comes your way. Yeah. As a result of the surgery to remove the cancer, uh, you develop lymphedema, another thing we share in common. Yeah. Uh, Another life challenge. How how are you coping with that right now? I don't cope with it. You know, I, I was saying to you before we began the podcast that I was traveling all the time. I There wasn't, I think, out of an entire year, I was probably home maybe 40 days out of a year. I was always on an airplane or in an airport and I needed to wear a full sleeve on my arm, but they wouldn't let me wear it into the airport. I'd have to, it was so humiliating. I have to take it off to go through security. Um, Then I would put it, I'd have to put it back on again. And when I stopped traveling so much, first because of cancer, second because of COVID, which hit about four months, three months after I got back on air again, I just couldn't, it didn't seem to matter, you know, but is it different? Yes. When I go to lift my left arm, it feels like it weighs 20 pounds. When I go to lift my right arm, it's buoyant. So, um, yeah, I'm probably being bad, but I learned to live with it rather than being so assiduous about 
putting on the sleeve every day and and I do a lot of I do a lot of arm exercise yeah um that seems to aggravate it slightly but you know it just stays where it is all the time I was part of the lymph uh, I think it's the lymphedema association of America but um that was just put aside because of COVID it was so bad in New York City and I live five blocks from Mount Sinai Hospital, which was the epicenter. And you were paranoid about even going outside. So, no, I'm not good. I am not good about lymphedema, but I am pretty good about diet. And Mount Sinai put out a diet. They had nutritionists. You can speak to them about what you should and shouldn't eat. And that should honestly be a diet that's published for everybody. Yeah. So I don't know if you went through that too, but it was basically no red meat, no dairy products, super limited alcohol, no sugar. Um, and if you could being vegan, which I just cannot do. I need a little more thrill in life than being totally vegan. But I, I I definitely adopted a much healthier way of living too. But then again, I was home so I could control yeah. my diet. And uh, believe it or not, all those years on this earth, but I'd never been home long enough to cook. I was always eating in a hotel or a restaurant. So one of my great projects um, as I retired from teller retail and was to teach myself how to cook really nutritious meals. So I'm having fun with that too. I'm yeah. in my stir fry phrase. And, and, right and you drink a lot of water, right? Drink a lot of water. I, I'm, I'm not the greatest water drinker, so I, but I love salty food, which makes you drink water. So, yeah, pretty good. You know, well, they told I, me to. Oh, they told me to stay away from salt. Oh, Not too much salt. They, oh, they never said that to me. Yeah, yeah, but, because of your um, clean water. So, but I will say that at seventy-seven years old, just about to be seventy-eight, I just got partial physical, and you know, um, I got my cholesterol totally under control through diet. I don't take one medication. That's great. Blood pressure, great cholesterol perfect now i just am so proud of myself that i don't have to lean on outside sources and i think when you know i first went to the gp she said oh my god your cholesterol you're gonna die at any minute i said i don't want to take a statin give me six months to get my diet under control i did it and that also tells me, and I must tell you too, as a cancer survivor, your body is healthy because it's very vibrant about reacting to good nutrition. Yeah. And vitamins. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, all good. Now, you, you use the term today as the youngest you, you will ever be. What does that mean? You know, I, I see two things, and I swore when... Um, as I aged, I saw older women look like they were so parched and had been wandering around in a desert for 40 years without a cool drink of water. And I swore to myself, I would never be bitter about aging. 
I would never, especially after cancer, be ungrateful. And so my mantra is always, this is the, this is the youngest you're ever going to be. I tell myself that every morning, take advantage of it and enjoy it. That's what I do. And it's really true. When you think about it, the past doesn't really exist anymore and the future hasn't happened yet. All you've got is the now. But I see so many people who don't are, aren't in a position or don't know how to get a positive message through them themselves think that old age is a punishment. I, I personally think old age is a privilege. And if you take care of your body correctly and keep your mind active, if you're doing something that you love, that has a heartbeat, it can be one of the happiest times in your life. And I, I, I'm not a Pollyanna and I'm not, I'm, I probably do make lemonade out of lemons, but, um, you know, there's lots of challenges and, and no one's health is perfect as they grow older, but you're the wisest you're ever going to be as well. You've seen it all. You know how to react. You know how to avoid mistakes. You know, sometimes my, my design assistants who are all really young would say, Oh, can we please do this? And I would say, it's not going to sell. It's not, it, it, oh, please. Oh, please. Oh, please. And I'd say, okay, okay. And they'd go through the whole process of measuring it and designing it and choosing the fabric and producing it. And then it wouldn't sell. And then they'd go, but it didn't sell. And I said, I told you. So um, they had to learn on it, their own. They had to. And if you could, and they were such good kids. And if you can use that wisdom and you've still got a love of life, I don't know about you, but for me coming out of cancer also, I was really blown away by the feel that I was so lucky yeah. and, and that life, everything, a butterfly, a beautiful sunset, every, there's so many miracles all around you if you choose to see them. And this is a time of life where you actually have enough time to recognize and ponder that. And appreciate so it. I, I, yes, I find this period of my life, my 70s, hopefully my 80s and my 90s, my family all live to be 98 years old. I hope that I keep that incredible joy for being in this physical world. And at the same time that I'm able to maybe reinterpret that and bring it to women, people, and have them enjoy their lives more. I'm hoping that my message, which is a really authentic message, doesn't fall on deaf ears. But I'm here to help. That's it. I well, know a, it. I know that's my purpose right now. Kind of leads into my next question. You talk about the acts of our lives. Tell us your thoughts on act three of uh, our life. Okay. So I'm a Leo. I'm very dramatic. And I always thought, well, I'm going to be in television. A lot of that drama is going to get funneled into being on air. But 
somehow it never did. So I've led this super dramatic life of ups and downs and survival and triumph. So when I thought about my life, sitting there getting infused with chemo, I thought life is like a fantastic Broadway play, at least for me. So first act is establishing all the characters and the intent of the story. The second act is the action and the third act brings it all together. The third act has the heart-wrenching big song like in Cats, you know, Midnight. And how would I people my third act? And so I would do a massive Broadway musical. I would be the star of the musical. I'd be in fabulous gowns. I'd have this gorgeous Barbara Streisand voice. I'd be belting out the song. Everybody would be touched and have tears in their eyes and leaving the theater thinking, wow, what an experience. That's how I want to go out. Big, colorful. Fantastic with a song that you just keep keeps roaming around in your brain, you know, day after day. So you choose your third act, you people your third act, you populate your third act with intentions that get you as close as you can. And um, you know, I found that I developed such strong uh, communication and connection skills from being on teleretail for 30 years that I was really attuned to being able to do great podcasts like this and be on social media and be giving out a great message all the time. That's So that's my third act. I'm just plotting it step by step and I'm loving it. I'm my own yeah. boss. Yeah. I'm always best when I'm my own boss. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, very well said. Diane, uh, what person, if any, had the most positive effect on you helping to make your aspirations come true? I think the CEO, Mindy Grossman, was one of them. I think Marvin Traub, who was a very famous president of Bloomingdale's for years, um, was someone... You know, I knew I was talented, but what proof did I have? I didn't have a diploma from FIT. I, I had nothing. That was a guy in an industry, amazingly enough, show business and design. The people that back you with money are totally distrustful of talent. I, they're the bottom line, guys. So... Those were people, Mindy Grossman, Marvin Traub, who truly recognized the talent and the fire, the fire in my belly to work that talent and produce something meaningful. And um, I had plenty of naysayers and, you know, many pitfalls along the way. But, um, you know, I'll sum up my life. For you in, in the night before I went into chemo and my husband had died of cancer and it was heart-wrenching and very 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 awful so chemo to me was I probably the thing I was the most scared of of anything and now I had to face it alone 
no family, no husband, just me with cancer. <clears throat> but amazingly enough, I fell asleep the night before chemo. I was in up all night pacing the floor, and I had this dream. When I was 18, I had saved my money, and I bought this little VW bug, this little beige bug. I loved it. I drove it everywhere. I wanted to keep it forever. I was so bummed years later when they discontinued the bug. I never forgave Volkswagen. So in the dream, I'm in my bug again. And I'm driving through the wilderness on this super bumpy, pebbly, rocky country road. And there's nothing but wilderness on every side and suddenly I just come up against this wall and the wall is a mountain a sky high mountain that comes to a needle point at the top and there's something in me in the dream that says you have got to get to the other side you have got to so I back up the little VW and I gun it and I get part of just a little bit up the mountain and I slide back down. I do that slide, do it again, get up a little further and slide. And suddenly I realized I am never going to, if I got to the top of the mountain, I would just tip over and crash on the other side. What am I going to do? I get out of the car in my dream and I grow into a giant and the needle point mountain becomes a sharp pebble under my feet, and I just easily step over it. And that sums up how how I approach most gigantic challenges. I sit back, I let myself get into a peaceful spot inside, I assess the situation, and I, the, I mean, the point of the dream was, you can do it, Diane. You're you can make yourself bigger and have an overview of your disease and the treatment for it. And fear is not an option. Right. So, right. yeah, that's how I travel through this world. Yeah. yeah, I always tell people going through it, uh, uh, don't waste your time worrying because you, because can't change, you can't, it won't change anything. Yeah, and even afterwards, too, don't yeah. you find people yeah. will say to you all the time, oh, are you okay? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, I'm here. Uh, <laughs> exactly. I, I don't want pity, and I definitely don't want stress-oriented support. Like, so many people treated me like, oh, you've got cancer, you, you're dead already. The people are so frightened of it that in your own way, you have to become bigger than all of them, have the overview, and not buy into that fear. Yeah. So it was a challenge, and you know it from every aspect. But it taught me so much that I never see it or even feel it as a negative part of my life. I see it as a contained high-level learning experience. Yeah, I, uh, I, I I took the model of a cancer is not a death sentence. It's a situation. Thank you. And the other thing that I took was 
this is not lifelong. This is a finish line. So to me, I contained cancer within a two-year period um, because I had to get a double mastectomy and go through all of that cosmetic replacement. And um, yeah, chemo did some damage to my body, but everything is workable. And most particularly, my mind is free of any worry. You know, if I was... If I was 22, not 72, which was the age I was at when I got it, that's another whole story. That's when I got it at the same time. 72 years old? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I had, I'll never forget it. And then, okay, so um, I got a terrible diagnosis just at a, a sort of sonogram center. And they said, oh, my God, you've got cancer. It's all over. You don't stand a chance. It was awful. Christmas Eve. Called up a doctor friend of mine and said, they said it's hopeless. He said, don't be stupid. It's 2017. Nothing's hopeless when it comes to cancer. I'm getting you to see my best friend. She turned out to be the head of breast cancer surgery at Mount Sinai. I totally lucked out. And she looked me up in jail. And she said, Diane, you look like a totally healthy person to me with a localized disease in a part of your body you don't need. And I thought, wow. And if it hasn't spread, you're 100% curable. And if it has spread, you are maintainable for years. And she said, women like you do the best in this treatment. She said, because pardon my language, you've worked your butt off your whole life. This is hard work. You know how to do it. And bam, those words have been with me forever and will be till the day I pass on. And I thought my kind of girl that I, I get this woman and you know, I needed to have, she she was, she was was your miracle. She was your miracle. It was totally. Yep. So, Diane, you know, we got to close this out pretty soon. But oh, what, okay. what, word, what words of wisdom do you have for all those out there trying to overcome an adversity or life challenge, wanting to be the best they can be? What words of wisdom do you have for them? Ooh, you know, you may think gloomy weather is going to go on forever, but it never does, does it? And a great day the sun starts shining through and then suddenly it's this beautiful, bright day. Hang in there. You can't win it unless you're in it. So if you're in a situation where you're fighting for something or you don't think you're getting your due, just live it out best you can. And the other thing I would say is life is such a miracle. Just see those miracles swirling all around you. How wonderful life is. How beautiful the earth is. I think I came out of cancer with that sensitivity as well. Mm -hmm. And surround yourself with positive energy. And guess what? I know this is going to sound so corny, but positive things will come to you and make sure you laugh every day and smile every day and you'll be amazed you'll start to see little miracles happen to you it was a miracle i survived 
stage three breast cancer. It was a miracle that I went on to set, even just so frail coming on air after all of those chemicals and radiation pumped into me and had the best day of my life in all my 30 years on air. There are miracles happening all around you if you choose to recognize them. That's what, and I think that in this day and age, overpopulation and television and, and all the stuff that is constantly coming at us, we just lost our faith in miracles. But they'll elevate you and they will inspire you. Be the best you you can be. What? And put your heart into it too. What have you got to lose? Very well said. Diane, how, how can people contact you if they want to? Contact you? Uh, the Diane Gilman. You can go to my website. It's all in small caps. The DianeGilman.com. That's for my website, my YouTube channel, Diane Gilman. Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Okay. That's me. And there's my book, which I really love. Too Young to Be Old. Too Young to Be Old. Awesome. I want to thank you so much, Diane, for sharing your amazing story with us. wonderful. Thank you the... for an awesome podcast. Well, thank you. And, and all the pertinent links uh, regarding you will be listed uh, in the podcast notes. I wish you uh, good health and good fortune in all you do going forward. Uh, and you well, as well. Thank you. And for all those out there, comments and suggestions, you can email me. It's a wrap with rap at gmail.com. The website is it's a wrap with rap.com. Uh, we have a merchandise portion of sales and uh, merchandise is, is on the, is on the website and a portion of sales is being donated to cancer, lymphedema and rare diseases research. Oh, fantastic. Wow. And our Facebook. That's great. Our Facebook group is uh, It's a Wrap with Rap. Our Instagram is It's a Wrap with Rap podcast. And our YouTube channel, It's a Wrap with Rap, the podcast, uncut all the episodes. Oh, my gosh. YouTube. You are just Renaissance man. You are yeah, we, everywhere. We, we are everywhere. <laughs> I want to thank everyone for listening. Please stay safe. And for now, It's a Wrap.